Hello, I am Dr. R.J. Weber, and I am fortunate to be the superintendent of the Northville Public Schools here in beautiful Northville, Michigan. We're just outside of Detroit for those listening to us around uh, the world. Uh, for those of you in Michigan, I'm sure you know where that is. We truly pride ourselves in advancing our tradition of excellence by opening up a world of possibilities for each of our students. And we thank you for joining this episode of Mustang Moments, where we have casual conversations with students, staff, community members, and beyond. Uh, we try to stay curious around here and also acknowledge and respect the fact that it's truly the people who make this an amazing school district. And this is our way to share their stories with each of you. Thank you. Hey, Dr. R.J. Weber, your Northville Public School Superintendent, and I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Jackson Garland today, who teaches at our high school. And this is a, a man who has been around the world, has many interests, and distinctly uh, impacts our kids on a daily basis, teaching AP Econ and journalism, I think, and so many great things. Jackson, welcome. Thank you very much. We're really excited to have you here today. How long have you been in the Northville Public Schools? Uh, I just started my third year teaching here at Northville High School. Okay. And let's go back a little bit. Um, you know, those of us who have committed our lives to education, public education, uh, often get our start um, for varied reasons. I'm really curious about your why. How did you get your start in doing this stuff? I think um, it's probably a pretty common story for a lot of teachers. Uh, I had good teachers myself, right? And that was an inspiration to me growing up. Uh, as I, even I think as far back as fourth or fifth grade, I remember thinking that's something I could do because I had some really good teachers and it seemed like something I'd really enjoy. And as I went through middle school and high school, my interest you know, went down various pathways, but they always kind of circled back around to teaching. And the nice thing is that teaching actually allows me to pursue some of those other interests, such as journalism, filmmaking, uh, multimedia, these other areas, uh, music, these other areas of interest to me. I've always found ways to you know, be able to explore those with students in a, in a learning environment. So uh, you brought up music there. I'm curious, what are your musical tastes? What, what do you like uh, in music? What, what draws you? It's anything good, really. I listen to all types of music. Um, you know, it, you, you could have a list of genres, and I probably have, you know, playlists for all of them in there. Um, everything from rock and experimental rock to, like, old outlaw country to jazz to classical music. From 8th to 10th grade, all I listened to was classical music. Um, I was an orchestra geek in, in high school, so I felt like I was playing catch-up with all of my friends who were into whatever was big and hip at the time. Uh, but I definitely caught up. But I think that grounding actually gave me a, a better background in music. And, and what I'll say is uh, we live in a magical time. And when I tell my, my son that, yeah, I used to have to drive to a record store 30 minutes away, wait to listen to one side of an album, and then do it again. And now, like you said, with playlists, like anything we want mm. at any time. So what instrument did you play? I play bass. So double bass, bass mm -hmm. guitar. Um, I also play various synthesizers and weird electronic music. So I've, I've played in bands um, from bluegrass bands to sort of space jazz bands to experimental rock. I've, I've done a little bit of all that. That is fantastic. And I think from a connection standpoint with kids and being an educator, you know, music is one of those universal languages, if you will, mm -hmm. that you can always find some commonality, especially if you're open-minded and have that. And our orchestra program here in Northville, uh, it's our first year at the high school, so that's exciting. 
And uh, I play, my son actually plays cello. And I started to learn how to play bass guitar and regular guitar about a year ago at Northville Guitar Lessons here. I figured I wanted to give it a try. I love music, but I never really could play it. Mm. So I think that's awesome. So journalism as well. What drew you to journalism? Because I, I think I, uh, if I'm going to make an argument for one of the most valuable classes a student can take, uh, I believe it's journalism or speech. And I've got my own reasons for it. But I'm wondering what drew you to journalism? I was on my high school newspaper, um, and I just fell in love with it immediately. And I remember even as a, as a young kid pretending that I was a, a, you know, I'd walk around with my mom's, you know, super eight millimeter camera and pretend that I was, you know, a, a reporter out there in the thick of it. Um, and there was always kind of a rush with that. And so once I actually started writing and I did a lot of writing and graphic design and journalism, uh, in high school and college, I was, you know, editor of my college paper. Uh, I was actually a journalism major for a little while, but again, circled back to education, you know, uh, but it's that, um, telling people stories, you know, getting out there and, 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 and seeing the world through different people's eyes. Um, and as a social studies teacher, I'm always talking about current events and bringing in, Everything from the huge events that we hear about in the world to those small stories. And I think journalism really allows people an opportunity to build empathy with other people. Um, and that that's really what drew me to it. So telling the story. And, and you mentioned something in there uh, prior to going on the podcast. We had a brief conversation and you talk about telling people's stories around the world. And you have been around the world. And I believe you mentioned that your wife has been around the world. So tell us a little bit about your experience on a global level and maybe link back to as now you're here in Southeast Michigan, uh, how those experiences that you've had have impacted you as an educator, uh, as a human being. Sure. And take your time. Like, I want to hear I want to hear your story. How much time do you have? Let's um, go. So I actually, my first teaching job was at my old high school. I went back in Santa Clara, California. And I realized my first day teaching there was the 10-year anniversary to the day of me starting there as a freshman. And the classroom I was in was my first period class that day as a freshman. Stop it. It was a real Twilight Zone moment when I figured that out. And uh, it was a great first job because I knew everybody. I knew where everything was. I didn't have to ask where the bathroom was. And my 10th grade history teacher is suddenly my colleague that I'm hanging out with outside of school. Um, but it was a great first job, and I was there for three years. But after my second year, I had the opportunity to uh, be a teacher chaperone on a trip to Europe, a three-week trip to Europe. I'd traveled all over America, but I'd never been out of the country. I'd probably been to 35 states, but had never left the country. Um, and before that, I had friends who'd gotten taught abroad, and I thought, well, that's, you know, that's a big move, a big change. I don't know if I could do that. And once I got to Europe, and especially I was in Florence, Italy, and I was looking around saying, oh, yeah, I can definitely do this. And the first day I got back, I started looking up international teaching. And a year later, I was moving to Helsinki, Finland, teaching at uh, the International School of Helsinki. So there's a whole network of international school job fairs. You know, it's kind of like speed dating for teachers looking for an international school job where you interview with maybe 10 schools across three days. And you get job offers right there, you know, um, and you're really choosing what am I going to do with the next couple of years of my life? I've got Finland and I've got Cyprus and I've got India here. Where do I go? Um, and so uh, I found myself going to, to Finland, Helsinki, Finland. I thought I wanted to go on exchange when I was in college to Alaska and I never made it. So I thought, yeah, Finland, it's up there in the northern latitudes. This could be a great experience. And it was a great school and a great teaching position. Um, but I really wanted to get out there and see the world. So 
Uh, initially, it was I'm going to go out there for two years and see what happens, and I'll come back to the states, you know, eventually when that's done. And two years turned into 20 years pretty quickly. So after two years in India, uh, or excuse me, two years in Finland, um, I then decided I wanted to, you know, keep going out and seeing the world. And I interviewed at another job fair, international school job fair, and started teaching in Beijing, China. So I was in Beijing for eight years, and that's actually where I met my wife. She was a, a fellow teacher down the hallway. She's from Michigan. I'm from California, so that's my Michigan connection now. Um, and uh, it, it was just an amazing experience teaching in China. We moved there in 2003, and I was there through 2011. So we saw the build up to the Olympics and just the rapidly changing you know, pace of the city. And I was teaching a lot of economics and a lot of geography. And it was just, you look out the window and it's just one case study after another right there. Everything from, you know, the human geography of how this city was changing so rapidly to the economics of it uh, was, was fascinating to me. And um, so I was there for eight years and met my, met my wife, as I said, she was teaching math right down the hallway from me. And um, then in 2011, we moved to Hanoi, Vietnam and started teaching at the United Nations International School of Vietnam for 10 years. Um, and that was also an amazing experience. Uh, I was able to teach some of my favorite social studies courses, so a lot of economics, some geography. I've, I've taught them all. I've taught history. I've taught civics. I, I love them all. But economics and geography are probably the ones that, that I feel the biggest passion for. But that school was also great uh, in that it allowed me the opportunity to create and develop a film and media program because they didn't have one of those. And you know, I went in and said, hey, this is the 21st century. You know, the, the, what this small device in our pocket, you know, our phone mm -hmm. has democratized filmmaking. It's democratized mobile journalism. It's democratized visual storytelling. And everybody has the ability now to write, shoot, edit, distribute something worldwide in your pocket. And there should be a program here for that to teach students how to use this. Um, so I started with one IB film class, uh, one grade 11 IB diploma film class in 2014 and three years later that had grown into grade 11 grade 12 ib film classes grade 9 and 10 media classes um, and i slowly shifted and became a full-time arts teacher doing film and media there which was incredible because it was you know I, i'm passionate about filmmaking i've always loved movies i've always loved the art of movies and and the power of visual storytelling and so i was really thankful that the school allowed me the opportunity to do that along with a so many other opportunities that, that we don't even have time to get into. As a United Nations school, you were able to meet amazing people. We did amazing trips. I was able to take kids to New York City on an exchange with the United Nations school in Manhattan. They brought students over. Um, we would do trips around Vietnam uh, for the week, week without, you know, week without walls, where students would travel to different parts of the country and engage in service programs and participate with local communities and their daily activities. Uh, it was it was pretty mind blowing, um, and and so that was twenty years. Um, and and once COVID hit, you know, our family realized, okay, well, I think let's go back to the states. We have two young kids who have never lived in the United States, and we wanted them to have that experience uh, at some point before they graduated. So. I love that. Um, COVID kind of, of opened up. A lot of people would say, you know, we've lived in the United States, and so we wanted to go somewhere for two years so they'd have the experience of living overseas. And the flip is, well, your kids have never lived here, so why not actually take them home uh, in that part? It was this uh, great country they got to visit for six weeks in summer break, and <laughs> right. then we'd go back home to Vietnam. So, But they are now both students in Northville Public Schools at Hillside and Ridgewood, and they are loving it. We're really happy as parents with the education they've gotten here. 
Um, so it's, it's been a really amazing experience for all of us. Well, as uh, you know, you have more time here than I do. This is my second year as superintendent. I've got one year. You on got you. one year on me. And I can say like these podcasts, these moments, right? The Mustang moments and that notion of getting to really meet the people who make this community public school district what it is. I'm in awe right now. Like, uh, you know, one of the things that people listening can't see is the expressions that I have or Katie has to listening to these stories. And the fact that you bring all of this to our kids is a gift. And I just want to look you in the eye and say thank you. Like thank genuinely you. thank you. Thank um, you. I appreciate that. And the the idea, the other piece of excitement here is that um, we really want to go towards things like this for each of our kids here in Northville. And having a person like you with this breadth of experience, a person like Katie with her own experience really excites me. And I think what you said about the phone uh, what many people don't know when they see these high-quality videos and the work that Katie does for us, it's an iPhone with a mic that's proper. Mm. And it's amazing what you can do, teaching our kids to harness that. To, the, their essential student voice and student agency can happen is a real driver for us here. Uh, when we talk to people uh, out who've graduated, I, there was a young lady who graduated I think four years ago I, I spoke with yesterday, and just what classes and what things really helped them as they kind of matriculated into the world, if you will. And so much of it has to do with how to express themselves in whatever medium they want. And so you're a film person. Uh, any I can never ask somebody with the amount of interest you do, what's your favorite? Because that's like, mm. how do you, right? But what's something, what's a film that you would look at as kind of an iconic piece that, in your mind at least, everyone should watch? Oh, that's a great I question. I know it's hard. It's, it's hard. There's a site called Letterboxd. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's uh -huh. kind of like a, a social media site just for logging movies you've seen. And they go around and ask people, what are your top four? And even whittling it down to four <laughs> is just an brutal. impossible, brutal question. Uh, so you ask me today, I'll give you one. You ask me tomorrow, I'll give you a different mm -hmm. one. Uh, but, you know, there's 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 all the, the classics out there, the Orson Welles and the Kurosawa and the Hitchcock. When I top film, I'd always start with Hitchcock because it was a great way to... Um, get students into the art of film and get them, you know, really gripped by a film that's 50 years old. Um, and to show them that this art form, which is really one of the newest of all the expressive visual art forms, you know, you look at visual arts, you look at music, look at pottery, look at poetry, literature, you're going back millennia, film has been around, you know, for 150 years. Um, so there's so much new innovation happening all the time in these fields. Uh, but to come back to your question, I don't want to go off on that. A film that I think is really, really spoke to a lot of high school students when I taught it was The Social Network, the okay. David Fincher film, The Social Network, about the creation of Facebook. And it's about oh, yeah. that, but it's about a lot more than that. Um, and that's the beauty, I think, of, of art, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's film or a book or a Dmitry Shostakovich piece. When you really are with somebody who understands the medium mm. and can help you see maybe what you're not seeing, that's the magic. And I think that's why you and I are teachers. Uh, we facilitate those moments of discovery and, you know, doing it in a way that is, um, you know, we don't try to say, do you see that? Do you see this? But setting it up in a way that the discovery happens, but mm. the joy that teachers like you and I have when you start to hear students say, oh, wait, I think this is why he or she did this there. And when you know they've got it, mm. oh, it's just great. Or when when somebody has seen something 50 times, but they've never thought about the context of it or the why 
behind it. And then you teach the history. We're both history nerds. You know, you look at Shostakovich and you listen to him. And and if you really knew what he was up against at the time and what he was doing, mm. you knew what he was doing and how smart and how clever in doing that. Hitchcock, Katie was nodding her head when you said that because I'm thinking, yeah, like actually like how he used the different angles and the close-ups and all of these things. And you can hear the excitement in, in our voices because this is what we love to do. I mean, this is about discovery and opening eyes and helping people you know, really have an authentic voice. When we look at, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say one thing I've had students tell me after going through a two-year film course um, is that it essentially ruined movie watching for them, you know, and they say that in in, in the most flattering way possible because now when they watch a film, they can't turn off that. Why was that choice made? What's happening here? Um, And it ultimately makes them more critical, you know, viewers of media, more critical consumers of media. Um, but I always took that as a compliment when they would say that. Awesome. I'm going to throw an economics question at you right now. Okay. So um, it's really interesting. Some of the most important mentors and people in my life actually had their doctorates in economics. And when I was a young man growing up, and and I always thought economics was macro, micro numbers. Um, And what the people in my life taught me is, no, economics is the study of human behavior. Mm. So when you're teaching students at about economics, AP economics, whatever, what what are the things that you find really kind of glow in them when you point those out or help lead them to see what it is? The I agree that it's about human behavior, and that's what I start with in day one, whether it's an on-level economics course, an AP economics course. The first thing I say is that there are two words you have to strike out of your vocabulary immediately, two four-letter words, so they kind of anticipate what's coming. And the first word is free. There's no such thing as free. There's always a cost. And it doesn't have to be a monetary cost. It can be a cost of opportunity, a cost of effort. Um, and the other one is need. There's no such thing as need. There's always choices. Um, and choices have various consequences, right? But economics is a study of how we as humans deal with the problem of scarcity. And because of the, the problem of scarcity, we always have choices to make. And there's always a cost and there's always a choice. And that is the frame in which I you know, teach the entire year. And I'll, I'll come back and I'll say, look, if you're using that word, you have to put air quotes around them to really recognize that they don't exist, that there is always a cost and a choice out there. So even when we're getting really deep into macroeconomic theory or we're talking about you know, comp- imperfect competition among businesses, we're coming back to those big ideas about, well, why are they making these choices? And it is about behavior. And it's the fact that, you know, it, it's, it's about how we, you know, we only have so many hours in the day. We only have so many things we can do. We make those choices. We do that marginal analysis all the time in our head without realizing it. And that's the thing I think a lot of students, I hope, latch on to is that they realize they actually know a lot more about economics already than they thought. When they walk in on day one, they assume it's a new subject. I don't know anything about this, so I'm, I'm curious what I'll learn. And the first thing I tell them is you actually know a lot because you're out there living it every single day. Um, and so that is the framework in which I kind of lay the groundwork for all the economic work we do. So I hope students listen to this. And like uh, one of our podcast uh, folks last year, Zach Ajaluni, just neat, neat kid and, and a student that you had the good fortune of having. Like, you know, I think sometimes kids and students can get turned off from econ because they don't like how you open that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. I think people get so hung up on Laffer curves or Keynesian economic theory or whatever. And they, they think that's what it is. And no, it all comes back to that root piece of the choices we make and that notion of scarcity. Mm. So 
Thank you for that. I of mean, course. that that is like a phenomenal piece. Uh, we're going to go kind of back into uh, student agency here. You know, one of the things in the Northville Public Schools we'd love to do, and I think I'm sitting across from two people who can help make it happen, <laughs> is is to provide as many students as po- with po- as possible uh, with the opportunity to create, to make, to search, to share their opinions, and so on. And and really, what we were talking about before the podcast, and maybe you can just talk to some of the folks out there about this, is over your span of of your life and career, how you've seen things. Um, become for, far more democratized and maybe some of the, the technical why behind that and how you see that manifest? Um, I'm a huge believer in student agency, student advocacy. Uh, I think if you look throughout every school I've taught at, the activities that I find myself attracted to are the ones that put students at the center of decision making. I advised the student government at my last school. Um, there, you know, uh, whether it be a, a filmmaking club or I advise model United nations at Northville high school as well. The thing that really, um, uh, I was impressed with coming into Northville high school was how robust the club offerings were, mm. but not just how many they had, but that every single one is student led and student generated. Uh, at my prior school, I was at international school. So there was a pretty significant amount of turnover of, of students and faculty, um, and so the, the after school, the extracurricular club activities tended to be very student or excuse me, very teacher centered. Teachers proposed it, teachers advertised it, students joined it. And one of the initiatives that the student government, when I was advising it, really spent a, a few years making happen at, at the school in Vietnam I was at was to create a student led uh, club program where students could propose a club, students could lead them. And it had to go through a lot of due diligence and a lot of work, especially in an international environment to make that work. Coming into Northville High School and seeing this list of 150 clubs, I remember emailing Tony Koski, mm-hmm. our, our principal, before I had arrived, said, well, how do clubs work? Do, do If I have a club idea, should I propose it? And he said, no, students propose clubs. And I thought, awesome, that is the kind of environment I want to be in. Um, and now that I've advised Model United Nations for three years, it just it, it never fails to amaze me how motivated and how uh, how led these students are, how, how self-directed these students are at, at leading other students. Um, it's been it, it's been absolutely incredible. And, and, and I think that's one of really the shining lights of our school district. Uh, to come back to the idea of mm-hmm. how technology has enabled that. So, of course, the Internet and the development of mobile technology and digital you know, image-making technology has changed so much about how we teach and about the way education works. The fundamentals of teaching don't change, though. The tools that we have you know, change and, and make things easier, but sometimes also make things harder, you know, and certainly make them more complex when we talk about the impact of social media on teens' lives and, uh, you know, what, how, how to navigate those things. And I've had some great conversations with my classes about those issues. Uh, but ultimately, it comes back to the, the, the big, you know, the, the, the big ideas that, that are always there in education. And I just listening to this, I'm so happy that you're in the seat you are as AI is uh, coming our way as a creative individual. And, Mm. you know, there's a lot of things that I think people are scared about. There are a lot of things that I'm excited about. Uh, We don't know enough, uh, but we know it's here. It's being used regularly, what that's going to mean in these different places and how things are produced or made. And I think that's a journey that we need to work hand in hand with our kids on. And to your point, uh, my first experience in Northville with students was the freshman welcome. 
and go back to Zach. He was the, I think, the student government president at the time, perhaps. And I had never seen anything like it. And I went to Mr. Kosky and he said, RJ, this is all the kids, 100%. We have nothing to do with this. It takes your breath away. But that, I think, Jackson, is an essential argument you and I would have with anybody that may not be educators or may not understand. It's something I believe you and I have probably known forever, which is that our kids are far more capable, uh, far, far uh, more capable of incredible things than I think many adults want to give them credit for. And it's so much fun to see the look on somebody who's maybe a non-educator's face and you tell them, yeah, that was all done by students. And you know, as a teacher, like, of course it was. They can do this. And they're blown away. Mm-hmm. And uh, just I was just coming back to this interview from um, a moment where there's a video being shot for a local park. Um, I called the mountain bike coach, got a couple of mountain bikers to show up, and the, the guy starts interviewing the kids. They nail it. Nail it. One take, done. Beautiful. And that's where we need to provide more space for our students to live that life, to tell their story. And before the the camera person got there, I was talking with one of the coaches. And, and I just said, you know, think about the education industry. You and I have been in it for over two decades. How, how often do we not ask our kids what they need on, an, on a macro level? Too often. Mm-hmm. You would never think of a company in the world that would not ask their customers what they want. And so that's my little piece there. So I'm going to give you a chance to give a shout out to someone in your life. Could be anybody, anytime. All right. Um, I'm going to give two quick shout outs. Do it. One of them is to my fellow film teacher at Northville High School, Tim Wardapan. Hey, Tim. Who um, I have really enjoyed just getting to know and talking film with. And we'll get together and just geek out. And you just, you know, a slight nudge and then we're gone for two hours, just mm-hmm. going really deep into film and media. Um, and I know he runs a great film class over there. The other one, I have to give a shout out to my wife. So Alexis Ramsey, she is also a teacher from Livonia. Mm. Um, and again, that's my connection to Michigan. Uh, one I met down I the hallway it. in China. So, but when we came back, she has actually like embarked on a really interesting uh, pathway as well. She is executive director of a nonprofit focused on fo- uh, providing assistance to foster care youth in, in Wayne County, and especially focusing on the education side of it. So she pushes into foster care residencies, and uh, she's teaching math. She's developing art curriculum, doing some really, really cool things, helping, to be honest, the, the students who are, are who, who need the most help, you know, who are, are the most kind of neglected in the system. It blew my mind when she told me that if you look across the state at all of the different demographic groups, um, foster children have the lowest graduation rate in the state, even lower than homeless children. Um, and it's a, it's a really tough uh, situation that she's in, and she's really doing pretty amazing things. So well, I, I got to give her props. Sounds like our world is lucky to have her. I know Western Michigan University, uh, maybe it was an alum or, or something there, uh, has invested quite a bit in foster youth. And one thing, a story that hit me really hard was it was the holidays. And where do these kids go? Mm. Yeah. Many of them don't have a home. So he made a point to make sure that like around Thanksgiving, Christmas, there were there was a safe place for them to be and build community. And so many of us are so fortunate we don't even think about it. We I, don't even think about it, absolutely. right? We complain about having to drive two hours to go to some relative's house. And in reality, there are so many young people out there who have no house to go to. 
And that snaps you back pretty quick. It does. So Relative perspective. Yeah, right on. So I have five uh, questions to finish. Hold on. Actually, can I throw one more thing in? Yeah, please. In addition to the education side, I'm just going to keep giving her a little shout out here. Good. And this is what what you said made me think of it. She's also delivering beds to foster families. We have a garden growing at our house, so she'll bring in fruits and vegetables for these kids who aren't getting healthy food. It, it, it's pretty amazing. So we care foster care. It's doing some well, pretty great things. Well, and, and with that, you know, here we are um, with 7,000 kids in our district. And every community with a public school system has an engine there that can help and provide. And even if it's just so our students understand how fortunate they are and um, can learn empathy, and understand that. So these are the, the things I want to see. And imagine having a mobile journalism type of class that that's a story they do, a feature they do, help the world understand better. As you said, uh, that information can get to the world out of your pocket. And mm, I think our job is to help guide them on how to do that. So uh, big, big, big ups to your wife on that one. So five quick questions here to end. So your favorite place to eat around here? Uh, I think in the Northville area, you know, I was relatively unfamiliar with Detroit style pizza oh, before moving yeah. to Michigan. It's it's really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been sampling a lot of different ones out there. Buddy's has that great, you know, kind of gourmet Detroit style. Mm. So if we want to go a little, you know, a little fancier in the Detroit style pizza, we'll go to Buddy's. You have my you have my heart right there. It's uh amazing and proud to say some of the number one pizza I think right in the country right now. Mm. It's a little competitive on that. How about a favorite business, a uh, place that you might go to? Um I'll stick with food. Food's always good. Uh, Deadwood, Deadwood Grill is yes. a, is a it's a classic. You know, it's 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 well known for a reason. Yeah, you know, love really it. Good. They yeah. have a they have a the ultimate comfort food is it's coming around, which is like buffalo meatloaf, and it's ridiculous. So I highly recommend it. Uh, favorite place to visit that you've been, or you just or a place you'd like to go, and you've been a lot of places. Right. Um, in terms of local area, I love going to Mayberry Park, taking my kids there, riding bikes, walking trails. We love to do camping, getting outdoors. Uh, so it, it's, a, it, it's great that we have that state park literally right here, just two miles away. So for the listeners out there, imagine that perspective. I'm sitting across from a, a man who's been in so many places in the world, but you can find joy and beauty three minutes from your house if you want to. Beauty is where you find it. It, it. it really is. And then finally, super. Oh, wait, no, no. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No judgment. Ooh, okay, so I'm going to go yes. All right, he's got a yes. And then superpower choices. We have invisibility, flying, or time travel. Which one and why? The history teacher in me wants to say time travel, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, flying is a classic as well. You know, they're... they're, they're ask me one day it's going to be flying, the next day it's going to be time travel. You know, I'm going to go I'm going to go with time travel. <laughs> oh, I thought I I was I really happy about the flying cuz like Google Earth, right? Like you think you have it, but could you imagine just quietly soaring above everything? I mean, yeah. that would be stunning. But time travel as a history person, I get it. Like to me, I'm torn between all all of those. Mm. If I could combine them all, that would be great. That would be like great. being invisible, um, like when the Declaration of Independence is being put together, and so they couldn't see you, and you could listen to what they're arguing about, and the push and pull. And then you're not getting a little butterfly effect and changing history. Nope, no, 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 no. That's where the invisibility <laughs> helps. Jackson, uh, it has been a pleasure, truly. Likewise, and thank I'm you. so grateful that you're with our kids and really cannot wait to, to work beside you as we go towards trying to help them uh, and provide opportunities for them to have their voice. Thank you very much. Yeah, be well. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mustang Moments. Our school district is amazing simply because of the people that are a part of it. 
As you listen to this episode, hopefully what you heard was the amazing aspects of what each of our, our folks bring and their unique skill sets and experiences. Um, and without them, really, the Northville community and the Northville Public Schools wouldn't be what they are, which are fantastic places to be, fantastic places to learn, uh, to live. So please stay curious out there and be well.